1: Hi everyone. This week we're talking about 2SL LGBTQIA plus activism with Jeremy Diaz, John Silagoy, and Melissa and Warner. We begin this conversation by acknowledging the land on which we gather is a traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee and Ashinaabe peoples, many of whom continue to live and work here today. This territory is covered by the Upper Canada Treaties and is within the land protected by the Dish With One Spoon wa- Today, this gathering place is home to many First Nations, Matisse and Inuit peoples and acknowledging reminds us that our great standard of living is directly related to the resources and friendship of Indigenous people. International Day of Pink's purpose is to create a more inclusive and diverse world. To do this, they encourage young people to challenge social norms, ask more of their educators, and stand up against bullying towards their 2SL LGBTQIA peers. They have worked with organizations around Canada to spread this message and encourage young activists to stand up. This year, it will be run on April 14th, primarily virtually, to keep everyone on board, regardless of the health direction in their region. To tackle the subject of bullying towards 2SLGBTQIA plus people, we have invited some activists in this area who have worked with Dave of Pink to spread the word. Welcome Jeremy, John, Melissa and Warner. Thank you everyone for joining us. This is a little different today because we have a few of you on the line. So what I would love for you to do is just kind of introduce yourself, your preferred pronouns and tell us a little bit about your stories. So Jeremy, maybe we'll start with you.
2: Hi, my name is Jeremy and I'm super excited to be here. It's such a pleasure to be sharing a panel with three incredible people who I truly respect. And um, I mean, this is an incredibly passionate topic for me because when we founded the International Day of Pink. And when we we started this sort of global movement and conversation, I don't think we ever expected it to grow into what it's become today. So it's been a real sense of excitement and, and joy to see it move from a movement that was trying to raise awareness about bullying the queer and trans folks faced to now uh, a space where, where people are leveraging the Day of Pink to accomplish modern activism and address issues that have traditionally been ignored and uh, um, uh, untackled. Mm
1: -hmm. And John, we'd love to hear a little bit from you as well and how, how you kind of got involved.
3: Hello everyone, I'm John R. I'm from Millbrook First Nations, and I live here in Halifax. Um, I use the pronoun Negum. Negum is uh, that person. It's ungendered, and it's in our language um, called Mi'kmaq, or Nuhi Sudi. And the, my role in um, here in the uh, Wabanaki region, or the Mi'kmaq area, is the interim, um, I'm the acting interim, um, or the interim director of uh, Wabanaki Two-Spirit Alliance, an organization we had founded back in 2010 in response to um, a suicide crisis in one of our First Nation communities where four people who identified as two-spirit or who were two-spirited had passed away out of 10. Um, and since then, we've been collaborating with um, folks in our region, elders, leaders, educators, knowledge holders, knowledge seekers, to ensure that we advocate and build knowledge around two-spirit identity and culture and promote um, love when it comes to understanding who we are as part of our cultural traditions.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being here with us today, John. And then Melissa and Warner.
4: Hello, I'm Warner. I'm 13. I use she, her pronouns, and I am transgender. I do a lot of activism surrounding the uh, LGBTQ community, and I stand up for those who might not get their voices heard as much as others. So yeah, I'll let my mom talk about herself really quickly as well.
5: Um, So my name is Melissa, and uh, I use the pronouns she and her. Um, I am a working mom of four who, um about 10 years ago, realized that uh, one of my children were a bit different compared to the others. And it took me to uh, seeking out answers Mm -hmm. and asking a lot of questions. Because at the time, um, if you look back 10 years ago, a lot of people weren't talking Mm -hmm. about a lot of these issues around uh, transphobia and all that stuff. So I had no idea what we were doing. So um,
4: through the process
5: of trying how best to care for my child, and um help others we've gone into activism it's amazing and, and you're for, right 10 years for ago I mean I'm just thinking back to when I
1: was in school uh, and there school was so little school, yeah. that was more than 10 years ago to be clear <laughs> but there there was so little information um so I can imagine as as a mom navigating that um how yeah. much work that would have probably been
5: yeah yeah i didn't know anybody or i had never met anybody who had a transgender even member of their family so for me it was like and i was raised very catholic and conservative so Mm -hmm. and my husband and i were catholic well we are catholic and Mm -hmm. so there was this disconnect for me at first like you know what does this mean for my child and us and it it took a really Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it took a a long time for me to be able to wrap my head around everything and realize that it was my thinking that was yeah wrong well I think Warner so, so, you seem like so, so, I can relate to so a lot confident that exactly. I feel seems like understand did you kind of take
1: the lead on way. this maybe in some ways you
4: <laughs> yeah some ways you know um even if I was young and I didn't understand everything fully I always wanted to speak out and kind of like like just talk about the issues as we're doing now, right? Because I, at a young age, we had all these support groups, right? And I saw all these kids that didn't have the exact same start in life as I did, right? Like my parents were at first, as I said, Catholic, and, you know, maybe not as understanding as some other parents may have been. So I do my mm-hmm. best to try and speak out for them and well, speak for them on their behalf, um, due to the fact that it will be difficult for them, right? But, you know, um they're doing like Mm -hmm. everyone else. Amazing. Some great work that I know you guys guys are are doing and we'll get into it a little later
1: too. John, I want to come back to you for a second, because I would love if you can share a little bit about what the two spirits identity piece of things, because it was newer to me, to be honest. So I'd love to kind of give some education around that.
3: Absolutely. Um, Again, um, saying hello to everybody, but Good job, Warner. You're doing an awesome uh, presentation. It's it's giving me a little chills to hear you even speak. So it's great. Um, the 2S part of the 2S LGBTQIA plus uh, is what we're using in the, um, the sub-working group with missing and murdered indigenous women and in two uh, two spirits. And we're moving towards looking at um addressing the action plan and the calls to justice from a two-spirited perspective. Uh, the word two-spirit, interestingly enough for me, um, I heard it many years ago first uh, from an aunt who's an educator who had said that um, there are two spirits in our culture. Um, and then later, I didn't, I didn't um, process that until when I came back home from being away for many years and came back into Mi'kmaq, this territory we call um, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, PEI, Gaspé, and Newfoundland and Labrador, Maine. And, uh, and I was at this conference and I had recently come out to my family, even though I had been out since I was 21 outside of Canada when I lived in Costa Rica, but not out to my family yet and, and my community, the Mi'kmaq community. And uh, so I had come out and I was at this health conference when this person said, Congratulations, I heard you came out as two spirit. And I said, Two spirit. Um, and I said, uh, I don't think I, I'm two spirit. I, I honestly thought it was related to bisexual or bisexuality. I said um, I, I'm just clearly John, and it was no. What I mean is this. So it really sparked an interest um, in me to find more about what the concept was, and and I did all the literature, and I did the reviews of the literature, even through my um, master's program. And I did this, uh, a thesis on conceptualization of two spirit identity. And I went back to our culture and asked what that is. Um, I saw the academic side of it, and I saw what indigenous languages were saying, and I also saw a pan-indigenous perspective around it that respects the non-binary, non-conforming identity of people that recognizes people's, um, you know, know, flux and identity, really. So when I went back to um, look at it from our perspective, and I, I asked our elders first, what's two-spirited? And they looked at it, two-spirited, and they said, uh, and, and it almost sounded like two spirits as in a secular way, right? So it sounded very secular. And I said, no, I, you know that's probably not it. We're looking at it from a, um, you know, a gendering and sexuality and spirituality process. And that's how we started looking at it as... So true spirited encompasses um, gender identity. It may um, also encompass sexuality. And with it comes um, your identity as an Indigenous person that also intersects with um, your socio-historical and collective experience as Indigenous people. And and all of that, you know, um, packs with it um, identity as your central person as an indigenous person but then you're you develop into your sexuality and your gender identity when your time is right and and it's mm-hmm. that's very spiritual could be ceremonial and some languages have particular words for it um and and some of our um, cultures that have celebrations around it so it's it's a very powerful word yeah wow thank you for
5: for
1: educating us on that yeah that's That's a lot to, it was the first time actually having this conversation with you guys today that I've heard of it. So I appreciate you taking the time to explain the background there. Um, Jeremy, so going back to Day of Pink, I know you touched on a little bit about, you know, the work that you guys do, but how did it actually get started? Like what was the personal journey, I guess, behind it?
2: So, I mean, believe it or not, but I was young in 2007 and we, you know, we saw these young people in Nova Scotia all standing up and wearing pink to stop bullying, and what had happened was a queer student in their school had been bullied for wearing a pink shirt, um, a bunch of students bought pink shirts and stood up together against this, this bullying. And it really reminded me of the work that we were doing in Ottawa. So at the time we were starting, um, you know, Canadian Centre for Gender and Sexual Diversity and the Jeremy Dyer Scholarship. And we were really trying to start a conversation. And and just to give a bit of context, um, you know, we were trying, an emphasis on trying to get into schools to do anti-homophobia, transphobia, educational workshops, And even with public school boards, even with high schools, it was tough because in many cases, people were not wanting to talk about it and there was a huge culture of silence around these issues. Um, You know, queer teachers were not coming out, the school board didn't have an LGBTQ2 plus conference, Uh, teachers were not allowed to march in pride even as part of a union. And so when you frame it within that context, this act of wearing pink was revolutionary that it came from young people. And so myself and other young people in Ottawa reached out to the students in, you know, Nova Scotia, and we said, Hey, can we bring your project to life? Can we, can we extend this day and make it uh, an annual event? And, And with their permission, with their teacher's permission, we founded the international day of pink and, it has since the very beginning, always been a volunteer run initiative where we uh, come up with themes, we come up with resources, but we really want the community to take the day and make it with it as they will. All the resources are open source, all the um, you know documents, the posters, everything is available at no cost. And we want people to take this day and do whatever they can uh, to make the world safer for you know, 2 spirit, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, questioning, um, intersex, and and allied persons. And I think that's super important because, you know, what happens in Northern Alberta is going to be different than what happens in Winnipeg, which is different than what happens, you know, in Algonquin territory, which is different than what happens in Coast Salish BC. Um, And it's exciting, because every year folks come up with new ways to leverage uh, the Day of Pink, whether it's introducing legislation, or organizing protests, or starting conversations like this, and it's incredibly empowering to be um, supporting people in any way that we can.
4: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And such a education tool for young people, I oh. think, too, just to start the conversations in schools, right? Like, yeah.
2: Yeah, and what's amazing is that we started, and and what's amazing is that we started this conversation in 2007, so many of those young people are now adults, you know, and they're, they're bringing the conversation to their workplaces, and, and they're, 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 they're inspiring others to continue that conversation, so, and, and the other cool thing about this is that it's super accessible, everyone can wear a pink shirt, and, and by doing it, you're part of this legacy of, of, um, Queer and trans rights. I mean, we forget that the the color pink on fabric was invented during the Holocaust to identify um, mostly gay men but other queer and trans prisoners, right? Um, And and pink as a color wasn't actually feminized until after World War II when pink was available um, to be mass produced. Um, if you look at the history of like the, the pride flag from 1971, the color pink was actually removed from the original design because the cost of creating that color, the cost of creating that, um, fabric was just too expensive. Right. Oh, I didn't know any of this. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. And and so the, and, and the entire idea of the color pink as a feminine color, right. And, and being, you know, eventually linked to like, um, you know, breast cancer and, and, and women's, uh, movements, I, you know, we saw the. The, um, the women's hat as part of you know the anti-Trump movement and other things. I mean, the color pink is related to this femininity that was related to LGBTQ imprisonment, right? Um, and it's interesting to see how the color pink is then incorporated culturally. Um, if you look at um, other communities across the world the color pink is a really strong color of of empowerment and social justice and human rights, all because of its history um, in the Holocaust um, hmm. and, and and the use of its color to identify and brand gay men, um, and and so it's it's a really important symbol in our community.
1: Hmm. Wow, that's. I also feel like I should have worn my pink today. I didn't even that didn't even jog in my mind, but I'll wear it for sure on the fourteenth, <laughs> and then. Well, Jeremy, you mentioned some of that legislation. I know Melissa and Warner, um, I'd love to hear. It sounds like you were involved in passing of some bills. Can you guys tell us a little bit about that? Or can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Confirming it was um, 2016. Okay, so um, Jeremy, do you know the year um, that Bill was at put forward? And you presented up uh, in May of 2016.
5: Okay. okay thank you for um yeah so we we were asked by a couple of um conservative senators to uh help speak to other senators and different members of parliament um to spread awareness about the actual bill that was being put forward and do you know what the bill
4: did yeah
5: yeah so it what it basically did was it added uh discrimination against um based on gender identity and uh, gender expression to the Canadian uh, human rights act so um what happened with us with with Warner Warner was young well you figure now <laughs> 2016 five years ago or so four oh. or five years so she was like eight, eight, like eight nine eight
1: oh, or nine yeah um,
5: yeah so I think the reason they asked us is because of my like my background and my openness about previously having a rather closed minded around LGBTQ Uh, issues. And uh, like I said, I'm from a small town up north. I'm from Timmins, Ontario, where even to this day, um, the mentality hasn't evolved too much up there. So where I was raised, um, and even when I moved to the area I'm in, it's a rural community where nobody really talks about these things, right? So um, I was basically asked because of my conservative background and being able to kind of relate um to how some people don't get it until they're there right like until it's a member of their family or someone they know they don't always understand what what it means to be transgender or um uh, homosexual or anything right so so yeah we testified as expert witnesses I spoke on her behalf um, because it was decided that children it wasn't appropriate for children to testify especially when I was eight I barely understood
4: like what laws were at all
5: but in the background, we met with all the various uh, senators and that to speak about mm-hmm. it. I think what ha- what we wanted to do was let them see it was children also were going to be impacted by this law, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I-, I watched what was going around in the world and-, and what transgender people were facing. And it terrified me as a mom to see the things that went on and know that my child was stepping into that world. And that was what she was going to face. So that's what brought me to fighting because... The way things were and are, I I can't accept that as a mom for my child, right? So, uh, so that's what brought us to this. We're Senate. all virtually and clapping. So that, that yeah. law passed. Well, and, uh, I, I
1: I like that you kind of talk about that. this journey <laughs> and in your background where you're from, and I'll yeah. admit even yeah. uh, even just using the the term guys there, I know that that is not should be using and so I'm also know that I'm like constantly learning and correcting myself as I go and it, yeah, it's yeah. it's just it's a constant process I guess right um and your group has such uh seems like such a strong group and just solidarity that's involved in that And why is that so crucial and I open this up to anyone who kind of wants to jump in I, I'd imagine with anything when it comes to like legislation getting passed just having that unified voice is critical
2: you know I'm going to jump in, but I, I want to throw this to John, because if I've learned anything, is that the, the, the community, right, the queer trans community is actually not a single unified community. It's actually a really broad, diverse intersection of experiences. Um, and if I've learned anything through this movement is that um, we in in 2021 are finally starting to hear the voices of the most marginalized and the most underrepresented um, and it, again, if I've learned anything, one of the things I've learned is, is now is the time to open myself up to the experiences and the stories and the history of fantastic and incredible individuals who have done so much. Um, and you know, hearing Warner's story is just so heartwarming because you, you hear of her growing up in a Catholic school where she's welcomed and embraced for who she is and then on the, on the other side i hear john's story of of being this activist who's reclaiming history that is thousands of years old and bringing it back to life i mean we we truly are living in a in an incredible time um but the needs of of each group of people you know whether it's queer and trans people of color whether it's indigenous folks and two spirit folks whether it's you know trans folks whether it's um, you know uh, pansexuals or, or bisexual folk. I, I think the 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 lesson here is that we need to start adapting um, to an ever-changing world where the way that we support one another will be different um, and and will change.
1: So so true. yeah did you John, did you want to jump in there?
2: Yes, thanks Jeremy.
3: And again um, hats off to Melissa and Warner. Um, here in the Atlantic, Uh, we've been on a journey of trying to recenter um, indigenous perspectives around anything and everything um, that has to do with um, decolonizing uh, anything that has to do with sexuality and gender, for example, and decolonizing the governance structures that are quite patriarchal and and that harm um, a lot of our folks who are two-spirited and, and Jeremy's absolutely right. Within the same um acronym, there's all kinds of uh barriers that may exist within our own organizations. And and with the two-spirit organization here, the Alliance, for example, um, we understand that we don't um fairly represent everybody as much as we'd like to. And and some of our challenges are even those that um that identify and multi ways of gendering and sexuality, both are together or apart, a lot of folks may fall through um, the wayside. And, and the most important thing is that we've been, um, you know, we've been here since um, the first contact of Europeans arriving here or settlers arriving here. And we've always been um, impacted by those changes, historical, legislative, Um, An example is the Indian Act that has, um, you know, quickly um, made patriarchal heteronormative laws and that indigenous folks here would have been impacted by that if they were either not, let's say, not gender conforming to a binary understanding of being male or female um, or anything in between. And some of that we understand to even um, have some of those issues take place in current day, and we've seen some barriers in health, we've seen some barriers in um, education, people being represented on boards for um, 2SLGBTQ organizations. Um, we need more color, and, and ironically, the rainbow flag is, is is a multitude of colors, and I always say you combine those and that's this two-spirit color, actually. And so we, we have to be mindful where we come from and the journey that we take. So individually or collectively, we're always um, trying to look at how we can um, extend that hand and we can't do it alone. So we always look for those um, organizations here in the Atlantic that we built relationships with through stakeholder um, consultations with community. um, People who work in different um, 2SLGBTQ organizations here in the Atlantic as well. We didn't wait for people to come to us, we went to them. And we said, listen, this is the alliance. This is what we hope to do. Um, we're we're still a young organization. We would like to collaborate with you. We have a we have cultural knowledge that we'd like you to know, and we'd like our two-spirited folks um be welcomed into your spaces. And it's so it's been an ongoing dialogue and partnership and collaborations and and building trust and understanding about who we are. And to the point where now Two Spirit Alliance, the wide Two Spirit Alliance is brought to all these tables. Um, and, and we have a sense of, um, I think, a uh, better equality, at least when it comes to that representation regionally. Where the largest organization, um, geographically speaking, as a as a you know, an interprovincial organization, um, but not, let's say, in in the population of people that are in our group, right? Because we're still a um, young organization. We have about 800 members in our group on the Facebook page, um, but then we have like 37 nations uh, that re- we represent here. Uh, meaning, uh, first nation to expand into the Inuit Labrador communities, and we have uh, four nations in the Gaspe Quebec region, and northern communities in Maine. So we're always trying to look at how best we represent folks. And we always say this, we were at the forefront of all this movement. Um, Sometimes we were beside you and you didn't see us, but we were watching you. And and a lot of folks don't see that often. And when we, we can recite all the historical events that have happened here because we were there, you didn't have your eye on us, but we had your, like we'd always been looking out at everybody around us. And that's part of the process here is now that people are saying, oh, wait a second. They are here. They're finally expanding their um, binders. And they're saying, yeah, indigenous people are here. Two spirits are here. People who represent um, non-gender conforming um, folks that are indigenous are here. They've always been here. Um, But now they're just realizing that and catching up to us.
1: And what do you think, what role would you all say social media has had on the work you've done, uh, positive or negative? I mean, John, you mentioned some of those different regions, kind of in different geographical areas coming together. I'd imagine social media is helpful in that aspect. Um, But I'd love to hear, and maybe Warner, even from you, being of the social media generation, um, how, you know, whether it's helped or hindered you in your activism.
3: Uh, for us, it's um, helped us clearly. Uh, when we established it as a Facebook group, for example, and Facebook coming out back then, uh, coming out then and establishing itself back then, uh, it grew. We grew with it, and and folks, the younger generations, especially, were the ones that grasped it, and they said, "We well, you, you need to be more present there, so that people will have a place that they can go to, if not through Google." Or YouTube or any other place that people look for. Where, where can we find Two Spirit information that's, you know, more present now in various multimedia spaces? But um, now we have a Facebook group, Twitter, and Instagram. All of that has been extremely important for us because we get the word out there, and we, you know, we're we're you know doing um, articles. We're writing around Two Spirit identity. We're doing research. We're at the parades were present and making sure that people know that
1: now Mm
3: -hmm. that's helped helped um, that awareness, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Warner, did you have anything to add?
6: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too.
4: Um so John did an amazing job at covering all the positives. Uh I guess I'll go over like the negatives of the internet. Um so when it comes to education, um it's amazing. It can help shoot those messages and points like across the world. Um but also when people are behind screens in general, like this goes for like, any You said it perfectly. Like it's topic,
1: actually, people it's funny because I confident. teach a course on social media and it's called something specific say. and now it's escaping my mind, but it's essentially like hiding behind a screen and, and feeling like you can kind of say whatever you want to say. Cause you have that protection of anim- 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 anonymity. I can't say that word, but like behind that screen too. Yeah.
5: Well, I think yeah. also, like, it gives uh, a, like a place for people to, you know, work together on the good, like to collaborate, to do good things. But it also gives the people filled with hate a place to collaborate and, you know, take some momentum with their actions. Like at one point, uh, we, Warner was doxed online, right? So um, a group targeting her for her work did like an access to information on school records and all different things
0: and we had no knowledge
5: about it until we found articles that were sharing private photos emails with teachers and principal um giving our address and everything online like to target her and the work she was doing in the catholic school system in in ottawa area yeah so like there are negative sides there are good sides too like we're one big thing is getting support Mm -hmm. from other people who aren't necessarily able to speak out like we're able to come together and offer
4: each other support especially during COVID right yeah. like you can't like you can't be in person like at all so like the um like the online connections is where it's at like at this day and age and it's been like that for the past like year or so um and oh yeah and also me and my mom were talking about earlier it's um the internet's a really like as I said people hide behind screens they like don't care what they say they don't feel the repercussions of what they say So a lot of the time, it's an opportunity for them to spread false information. Um, Like, for example, we were comparing it to um, people in vaccines. Uh, They make up false information to, like, I don't know what the purpose is, but people, they do it just to, like, and people believe it. That's the scary part, right? Is you can go say, this person did that. This is what's in this. And people will be like, oh, my gosh. Like, that's true, because in our society, a lot of people believe what they see on the Internet is the truth when it's not always the case,
5: like a common one that's spread around with regards to transgender um, youth is that they're being medicated at like eight or nine like eight years old they're being given hormones and that's a really common one put out by hate groups or target mm-hmm. that target trans people and it's not true it's absolutely not true in Canada or other countries so mm-hmm. it's just it gives them a platform to spread that negative information right that isn't true and
4: it gets even worse from that like not to be like strange but like I've had people assume that like I wanted to prey on children as a child just because of my identity which made no sense like people also need to learn the difference between like sexuality and gender identity right like just because i mm. feel and I want to express myself a certain way yeah it's not it mean is, that i want to it is, on um, you're like, right
1: strange <laughs> is the right word to see where people's kind on online, of and really minds and thoughts go online sometimes but gosh that's a that's a lot to have had gone through so i appreciate you sharing that um John yeah go ahead
3: if I can, yeah. If I can chime in for one one thing that I will share, what um, Warner brought up was um, the fact that folks can be very deficit-minded um, or deficit-based um, perspective perspective-wise when it comes to a lot of this. So um, we have to be vigilant on our social media for sure that people are making those comments and everything in Facebook and all that. And I've noticed even when I when I'm on my personal Facebook. And I try to um, promote anything that has to do with Indigenous Two-Spirit research or anything that's um, part of the 2SLGBTQQIA plus um, content. Um, I'll throw some joke on there and folks are laughing and liking and saying everything. That's that's wonderful. When I put down something that's very relevant to our community or to, um, you know, trans people or 2 spirited folks here, then folks are a little more wary. And you, you know who will say it. But my um my peer um, uh, colleagues who are cisgendered men have a harder time to, you know, to, to capture that. And I, I sometimes, being a researcher, would like to know how, how that plays out and all that. But I had an experience as well where, coming from deficit, deficit perspectives, and we are a strength-based um, organization, and we try to make sure that we always move forward with that um, idea that we will we will look at the strength-based um perspectives of who we are and when we do research for example um, a few years ago um, we did um coming out stories and narratives collecting narratives around the region and um so you know that came out and the report was uh, sent to our funders um, back then being the urban aboriginal knowledge network and shirk and um, so somebody, from one of the radio stations um, news agencies contacted me and and we had a chat about it. And when we chatted about it, they kept on saying, so uh, the mental health situation and the detrimental situation of mental health in First Nations for two-spirited people is this. And and I said, well, that's not what I'm saying. I am saying that um, what we've seen is that two-spirits are very resilient and that, um, they relied on support by family, community, and healthcare providers who, when they were there. When people faced distress and anxiety, um, and so they and they kept on dwelling on that part. And I said, no. The point that I'm making moving forward is that um, Indigenous youth are finding their voice. They're finding their spaces, and that because of that, people are coming out younger. So <laughs> we kept on going back and forth, and they wanted to capitalize on the suicide deviation and the suicide um, part. And I kept on talking about living and moving forward with life. Um, again, you, you have to be very wary of how uh, social media works for sure.
1: Hmm. Hmm. No, I appreciate you sharing that piece of it. So I know we're we're coming to our, the end of our time here together. So. I'd love, you know, Day of Pink, April 14th is one day. So I'd love, though, to hear from each of you, how can we be an ally year round? If there's one thing you would kind of say or, you know, one thing you think um, we as a public can do, besides wearing our pink on April 14th, where, where would you, what would you suggest? Jeremy, did you want to start us off?
2: If there's one thing I want folks to take away from today's conversation is that, um, you know, the Day of Pink is every day. Uh, I think every day we can find a way to share joy, to share kindness, to share respect. And I think often we think that the opposite of discrimination is, is not discriminating, when in fact actually the opposite of discrimination is showing care and acceptance and activism for other people who need help and support. And so whether that's advocating to politicians and demanding legislative change, whether that's donating to a charity or volunteering in your community, whether that's, you know, making a note to watch your pronouns um, or use, you know, the correct language or reading an article about queer and trans or two-spirit folks who, who need help and support, understanding each other's stories better. Those are the things that we can do on a daily basis to, to make our country and our community, uh, our schools and our workplaces safer places. So I hope that folks will will continue to, to share the message of the Day of Pink and, and what it is intending to do.
1: Melissa and Warner, John, if there's anything else that you want to add to that, I'll
3: go ahead. So um, we'll give uh, Melissa and Warner the the final voice. Back in 2007, when I came home, just a quick story. Uh, I came home back into the region, and I started working for this organization. And uh, and I was I started two weeks into this organization in February 2007, and I just moved from South America at the time, and so I was a little tan still and everything, and. The color pink is beautiful on my my darker skin sort of thing. And um, so I came to work um, that day, and a a dialogue happened between two other um, co-workers, and I was the only male of a health policy organization with about seven or eight females. And one of the gals in the group had said, "Uh, John, that's a great color for a shirt. What is it, salmon? And I said, of course not, it's pink. And, and I answered firmly that it's pink. And, the, and, and they said, wow, that's not a common color for Ulnu or for a native person to wear. And I said, well, I wear pink um, all the time. They said, what, is it um, pink shirt day or something today? And and I said, no, I just like the color pink and it looks good on a tan. And um, and I just think that um, I, I feel comfortable with it. And so, especially mid-February, right? (laughs) So the other gal had come back and says, well, good for you, John. Um, I think more indigenous people should wear pink and our colors that are similar to take out your color and your hair color and all this stuff. And the other person that had asked about the pink had said, well, I think you can get away with wearing pink because you're metrosexual. (laughs) So I said to myself, well, I just like wearing pink altogether. It doesn't matter, you know, what day of the week it is. So later on, this person that came to um to the office all the time would say, "Good morning, ladies," and I was the only cisgendered um, gay person in the group, right? And and I would always say, "Good morning," you know, "Good morning" every other time. So somebody had asked me, "How did you deal with that person?" Um, I was talking about pink and talking about your gendering and always correcting my situation being Ulnu um, and wearing pink or whatever. So I don't know what I did, but I started using their bathroom and leaving the toilet seat up. <laughs> That's the only thing I could imagine that I was you know doing correctly. <laughs> but anyway, wearing pink has always been part of my uh, wardrobe and I never had a problem with that. But other people may may have that and and, and now it's not a, it's not a topic of interest anymore. Ten years later, 11 years later, 12 years later, We've done a a lot of work, and uh, and our organization continues to do that in the spirit of um, opening those binders so that we can see all the people that are around us. We don't miss anybody around us, no matter what what color their shirt is. But that's significant for us as well. Um, That color is incredible when it comes to reaching um, younger people. It's very relevant, and our schools are celebrating them. Our First Nation schools are celebrating them. we have all kinds of allies and women and girls and two spirits are, are collaborating together to make sure that we get the message out there. And then everybody is hearing that. So that's very important. And that's, what, that's how we're moving forward with it. Um, we're locking our hands together to make sure that we can maintain that um, conversation so that we don't have to justify how we wear, whatever color we wear, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And Melissa and Warner?
4: Uh, so I'll start us both off. So we both can give different insight on the topic. So as a kid, um, being an ally is important because um, children are very impressionable. So anything their parents tell them, like if they're very homophobic, racist, transphobic, they're going to take that and they're going to start being like, like I see it all around me, kids are like saying slurs and saying these things. And I'm like, I talk to them, like, I've had experience just a few days ago or a week ago, and this girl uh, that I was close with, I didn't know, um, she said, she's a slur, and I said that, you know, was close to me, and it hurt me personally, and I said, like, I'm not, it's important to not get mad at people, it's important to educate them, and being an ally is all about education, in my view, educating others on these topics, so I told her, I said, that's not an okay word to use, like, you shouldn't be using that, and I explained the backstory to them, i told them these things and um for children um as i am one it's just really important to not be a bystander and to explain and educate because not many children can and most children are doing these behind closed doors not in front of teachers not in front of adults so most of the time me and my close friend group have to take it upon ourselves to educate others and be like you can't say that that's not nice like um, most people nowadays are, are too, too afraid of being like, oh my gosh, are you, why are you so, um, I don't know, why are you so, like, carry? or I don't know the word, Carrot. yeah, why are you such a carrot or whatever, <laughs> um, like, why do you care so much, um, and it's just, they don't understand, right, it's just the whole thing, it's just, sometimes children do not understand, and they need someone, someone to educate them, so as a child, it's really important that you, you yourself are educated, and you're not a bystander, and you just, notify people when they're saying something that is offensive that's my belief personally but there's like so many ways like you can donate your time you can donate your money you can donate your friendship you can donate your likes you can donate your smiley faces during covid you know everything helps everything is being an ally as long as you're not sitting there and you're not just okay watching, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like you're not watching from afar yeah okay and then uh you can give your insight. yeah well i think
1: <laughs> that was wonderful. I'm going to just jump in. That was wonderful. I feel like we have yeah. a future prime minister.
5: <laughs> so um, I think the big thing is for people to have empathy and and try to put themselves in, in other people's position kind of thing, right? Because
4: mm-hmm.
5: for us, like we've, Warner's only 13 and we, I've already seen so many uh, things happen to her, around her
4: that break my heart as a mom, right? So we have to fight. And this is the saddest part of my story is that I have all these experiences, but I'm lucky. I have an amazing life, an amazing family, an amazing like surrounding. Like I went to a Catholic school that supported me, and that's like mind-boggling to other people. And honestly, like it's just so sad to hear like all these other people's stories where they're like their parents aren't supportive, their community isn't supportive. Like my story is a small one compared to many others, right? and like and just people need to realize that right and that's a big part of my education is saying it's helping people like as my mom said you have to have empathy and the whole part of me being an activist is to help people tap into that mentality of like imagine if you were in my shoes you know imagine like as i've been i've been assaulted i've been like all these things like i've been like um like people that like got my information and put it on the internet like These things need to be heard about, and they need to put themselves in our shoes. And this goes for anything, really you know, like any minorities, any groups of people. You just need to really put yourselves in those shoes, in their shoes. And you know, just sharing your story is a really good way to do that. So, my mom gave insight to the people at parliament when we were doing uh, when we we attended Bill C 16 and she spoke. She gave them her perspective and said, I used to be Catholic, I wasn't sure, I wasn't raised in a place like that, but. I educated myself I learned and I stood up for the ones I love and you know it's just it's just really important to make sure that you have empathy and that you put yourself into other shoes and you can continue
5: I I think for for from my position like when I started off looking into what it meant to be transgender and things like that uh, my mentality was in the in a totally not good place I initially faced it and looked at it and thought how can I help my son you know and and I hadn't realized and I didn't realize it was even uh, an option or consideration that she she was wasn't my son she was my daughter because of what society and you know historically what people have said so I just for me it's like I ask people who are in a position to do so to demand change for those who are vulnerable and can't you know fight so if you're in a position to do mm-hmm, so, speak mm-hmm. up, you know, for folks who can't,
4: right? And, so. and what she said kind of leads into why it's so important to be an ally. Um, Like to have those people, like, as she said, she grew up in a small town, like rural, Catholic. Nobody, like, nobody knew anyone, right? Like my school, like I was the only LGBTQ person there. Like they knew no one. They like, there's no representation, like at all. So I think just being an ally and being there to educate people, like even me just being here, right. Just helps people. Like, even if they might have a negative, like negative idea about it, they're like, Oh, well, like, you know, she's a person who, you know, like it gets them just Mm -hmm, familiarized mm -hmm. with the idea of the community.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you guys hit it on the head. It's really and each of you kind of spoke to it in, in different ways, but it is a, about sharing your story, because there's so much power in sharing our stories and creating conversations. And that's really where this podcast comes from is like, let's just talk about it, right? Like, let's talk about it. And then we can action it. And I appreciate you being here today and and sharing those stories, and giving us some tips on, you know, what we can do day to day to action it. Um, And yeah, we're, Excited for this week and April 14th and in the day of pink and Warner's already ahead of the game. But yeah, it's it's been a really, really enlightening conversation and I appreciate you all being here and taking the time to to share your stories.
6: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen.